Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. So the message today is on the song Grenade, and the title of the series is Love Song Lies. And how many of you here are aware there's this thing in our culture now that a lot of people participate in, it's called online dating. Yeah, have you heard about it? It's kind of, kind of, you know, people do it, and uh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I like got married 40 years ago and didn't have to rely on a computer. And Susan, I'm just so glad, you know, that yeah. All right, I just score as many points as you can. Okay, that's how I feel. But there are millions of Americans seeking love on the internet. Little do they know that there are teams of scientists that are watching every piece of data. A recent New York Times article titled Love Lies and What They Learned indicates that collectively the, majoring, the major dating sites have more than 593 million visits in the United States last month. 593 visits. Now, in-depth studies found that about 81% of the people misrepresent their height, their weight, or their age on their profile. On average, the women describe themselves as 8.5 pounds thinner in their profiles than they really are. Men only fib by two pounds. Way to go, guys. Although they lied about their height, they rounded up a half inch. And that one I can understand. (laughs) Another study found that women's profile photographs were on average a year and a half old. Men's were on average six months old. So what does that teach us? Well, ladies, I think it teaches us this, that if you date a guy on the internet and you go to meet him for the first time, beware if he's wearing all black, because it makes you look thinner, or they constantly stand on a step and make you stand on the floor. But um bum okay? It's a joke. Jesus said... So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So love is the most amazing challenge you will ever encounter. Who to fall in love with, how to love that person, how to be loved by that person is a challenge. And it changes over time. We've been married 40 years, soon to be 41 years. That's a long time to be married. Right? And it changes over time. Um, I'm not like I was when we were 20 and we got married. I am not that way anymore. You know, I found the couch. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. A commandment is a responsibility placed upon you when you take a new office. In other words, you have chosen to follow Christ, so since you have made that choice, you'll have some new responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is to love one another like Jesus loves us so that people will see how we love each other 
and then it will prove to them that we are followers of Christ. So it's very important to make sure that when people look at us, they see that we love one another the way Jesus loved us, and then they'll say, wow, they're a follower of Christ. I can tell by how they act. Have you ever met somebody like that? You ever met someone and said, walked away and went, I know it, I know it, they're a Christian, I know it, but I'm at work and I'm allowed to talk about it. So you, you, know, you do like a cryptic message, you know, like under your breath, you believer. I am, but you can't sit, so don't say anything here. All right, we'll go to lunch. <laughs> you just know it. <clears throat> the truth about the commandment of Christian love flies in the face of the lyrics to Grenade. Um, now, the interesting thing is last year, around the same time, we did a sermon, a series on love, and I got assigned one of the, you know, I got assigned one of the Sundays, and, and uh, I chose to use this song as my launching point, and then this year, Pastor Mel came to me and said, I know you spoke on it last year, but I want you to speak on it again this year, and just find another angle, and I'm like, okay, I can do that. So, um, somebody last night came up to me and said, hey, you know, you really kind of bashed the song, and that song saved our marriage. And I'm like, oh, wow, so I offended somebody. And I looked at him, and I said, well, hang in there. Because I'm sure, I spoke on it last February, I'm speaking on it this February, come next year, and I'll, I'll take your angle. So I, I, I'm figuring that every year I'll, I'll do a, a sermon on Grenade. Now, it's got a lot of lyrics, but every song has, has a, a, a main lyric. Here's the main lyric. The main lyric is a, a line that gets repeated over and over and over. It's like when I was growing up, the first group to ever use reverb in a song. Do I have a witness? It was called, it was by Tommy James and the Shondells. Do I have a witness in this church? Did you have radio here? Okay, and they sang a song called Crimson and Clover over and over. And they sang it over and over and over. It was like, hey, Jude. How many of you are here? A great song has a reprise because when you hear it, everybody goes, na, 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 na. <laughs> this song has a reprise. Here it is. Because you gave you all I had, you tossed it in the trash, tossed it in the trash, you did. To give me all your love is all I ever ask. Because what you don't understand is, I'd catch a grenade for you. Here it is. I'd catch a grenade for you. Throw my head on a blade for you. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know, I'd do anything for you. Oh yeah, I would go through all this pain. Take a bullet straight to my brain. If you did, you'd be dead. <laughs> Matter of fact, you'd be dead with a grenade, a blade, a train. Yes, I would die for you, baby, but look, here's the key line. But you won't do the same. So it sounds to me like Bruno's trying to make a deal. If I would do all this, then at least you should reciprocate. How many of you are here? The origin of these lyrics is very interesting. Bruno Mars did not write this song. <clears throat> this song was written by Benny Blanco, who's a friend of Mars. Mars listened to the song, and he said, dude, i got to record that song. I'm in that situation right now. 
I've got this girl that just will not, she's just not, she's shading me. All of you are going, what's shading? Okay, you know what shading is, here's shading. When we were kids, we'd say, he ignored me. He was ignorant. Anybody here ever say that? He didn't pay attention to me. He just walked on by, he, was, he ignored me. Well, to prove that I'm cool, or somewhat cool, I, this word shade means I threw you shade. So I ignored you. All right? I told Pastor Ricky, you know, I used it in a sermon. Pastor Ricky told me last night, dude, you are so cool. <laughs> he said, you know, you do this thing with your, with your glass and just go like this, it means you're giving shade. I said, I'm, I'm going to. And you too, folks, can be cool. Just Google cool words. That's what I did. I've never used shade in my life. I will now. Bruno Mars was struggling. They pointed to a frustrated man who just couldn't imagine that after all he had done and all he had promised, she just ain't that into you. Now, no offense. I mean, if you really read the words, I mean, I... I don't get the whole attraction, Bruno. I got to be honest with you. She'd watch you burn in a flame. She 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 cut your she cut the line to your brakes. How many of you are here? Now, if if if, if that like I wouldn't take a paper cut for that girl. Matter of fact, in in my era. Somebody like that, we would have we done what Dionne Warwick sang. Walk on by. Shade her. <laughs> Let's take a look at three truths that combat the lie about love that is tied to a deal that Bruno wanted to make. Let's make a deal. I do all this for you, you do this for me. Christ's love doesn't work that way. Christian love doesn't work that way. It's not designed that way. Jesus doesn't love that way. He doesn't cut a deal with you. How many of you are here? So the first truth that we learn is true love doesn't manipulate. Now how many of you know what manipulate means? Manipulate means to negotiate, control, or influence for your own advantage. This whole song is about manipulation. Come on, baby. See, I don't get it. I mean, I got married at 20, started dating Susan at 14. I can't advocate for that because parents will go crazy. You were dating when you were 14? We went to a church hayride, all right? It was a church hayride in front of all the church. Got married at 20. I don't have like this wicked life testimony. You know, um, I mean, I, I did do like one really bad thing. Want to know what it was? How many of you want to know what it was? Man, you guys are so like, that's not your business. And my mom, was, my parents were very legalistic. 
Uh, I often say of my parents, they were so narrow-minded, their ears touched. <laughs> and uh, so my mom said, don't you ever go to movies. Don't you ever go to a movie. If you go to a movie and Jesus comes back, he doesn't go to the, the movie theaters. You're, not, you're, going, you're going to be stuck there. I mean, my mom wouldn't lie to me. She also told me if you smoke a cigarette, you die. Right on the spot. I don't know how everybody else lived, but I would die. <laughs> so uh, Sue's brother and I were good friends, and we used to run and train for wrestling, and part of our uh, course we ran was ran by a drive-in theater. So I said to Mark, I said, Mark, you know, we crawl under that fence, take that speaker, put it on the ground, go to a movie. So, and, and it won't be in the theater, so we're safe if Jesus comes. I mean, does it make sense? It's my rationale, you know what I mean? Like, it's the roof that keeps him out, you know? Like, he can't, you know, I'm wide open, man, I'm good. Moses said in Leviticus, don't take advantage of each other, but fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Don't manipulate. True love doesn't manipulate. Let's give me, I'm going to give you a quick story. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were for 40 years trying to find the promised land. They finally found it. Moses died. The guy behind Moses that takes his position, his name is Joshua. He's got a whole book in the Bible. And in the first part of the book, around the ninth chapter, they had settled in. They were uh, tilling the land. They were doing very, very well. It's a beautiful place to live. And they had all the crops they needed. They were well fed. Everything was going well. And all of a sudden, these strangers show up, and they're called Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites and the Israelites were never supposed to make agreements together. They were never supposed to have treaties, and they were never supposed to allow them to settle on their land. So the Gibeonites show up, and they're incognito. They're, um, they're, they're wearing tattered clothes, and they, they start talking to uh, Joshua's lead military personnel, and they say to them, Hey, you know, look, you know, we just came to your land and we want to like to settle here. We're from far, far away. We've heard about your God and how wonderful he is and how you win all your battles and, and we'd like to settle in your land. And they were, the children, the Israelites were, they were skeptical. So they went and got Joshua and Joshua came out and they told their whole story. And they said, look, this bread we have, when we left home, it was warm out of the oven. And now it's molded, it's, it's crusty, it's just crumbs everywhere. And our wine sacks, um, when we left, they were brand new leather, and now they're all patched over, and they're leaking, and uh, our shoes are all worn out, and our clothes are all worn out. <coughs> and um, they said, we've been traveling so long, would you let us settle on your land? Well, here's what happened. The... Children of Israel got together, and the men of Israel looked, looked the Gibeonites over, and they accepted their evidence. But the scripture says this, and this is the important part of it. It's probably be on the screen for you. It says, but they did not ask God about it. They were being manipulated. And they were told, you know, ask God about it. But they didn't ask God. So therefore, the Gibeonites settled in. And the children of Israel realized these guys were manipulators. Now, manipulators have nine, nine specific characteristics. 
How many of you can count to nine? All right? Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to, like, point. Like, I'm going to go over these nine things, and when I do, I don't want you to go like this. Yes, that's true. That, this one, yes. All right? Well, be, be, like, discreet. All right? Like, just do, like, when I read one, if you go, yeah, I know somebody like that, just go one, two, three. If you get past four, you are dealing with a Gibeonite. Okay? So you ready? Here they come. Nine of them. Manipulative people give you ultimatums. I've done all this for you, but you won't do the same. That's an ultimatum. Manipulative people use tears against you. They give you the silent treatment. Stop pointing. (laughs) They play the victim. They make you walk on eggshells. They guilt you. They skew the facts. They twist your words. They suck the life out of you. Some of you are going, I'm at nine. (laughs) Now, I know that it's hard to avoid being manipulated, and I know it's hard sometimes not to manipulate ourselves. How many of you are with me? I mean, like every once in a while at our house, I can be a little manipulative. Like the other night, I'm like on the couch and I'm locked in. How many of you know what that means, locked in? You know, you got your position. I got a blanket pulled to here. It's the fuzzy one that keeps your feet. So, I'm, I mean, I am. And I'm watching bobsledding. I mean, I'm locked in. And Susan gets up and walks toward the kitchen. And I said, hey, babe, you know, while, you're, while you're in the kitchen, can you, can you get me a glass of iced tea? And she looks at me. And she said, no. Because <laughs> you laid there and you waited till I walked to the kitchen. I know you did. And she looked right at me, locked eyes, and said, don't you lie, you tell me the truth. And I was like a four-year-old. <laughs> said, you're not manipulating, no, you get your, I'm like, Sue, I'm locked in. Got the blanket. You gotta get up, walk to the kitchen, like 18 feet away. You gotta get a glass, gotta open the freezer, you pull ice. Open the fridge, pour it. How much work that now you gotta come back and if I lock back in, put my head just right so you can drink while you're laying down. Come on, Sue. No. And because I'm who I am, I said, all right then, I'll just go without. <laughs> that, my friend, is manipulation at its best. We all have it in us. How do we overcome manipulation? Well, I want to share something with you that's very important. <clears throat> the children of Israel in this story all of a sudden got suspect of the Gibeonites. They're like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. And we weren't supposed to, why did we make an agreement with these people? We were never supposed to make an agreement. Why did we do that? We got duped. We may have gotten duped. So Joshua goes out to them and he says, this is what he says to them. 
He said, wait a minute, tell me your whole story because it doesn't jive up. You lied on your profile. You are not 6'3", 220. You're 5'7", 315. So, <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Those who speak Spanish, pantalones en fuego. Are you here? He said, something's not right. Tell us the truth. Well, we were so afraid of you. We afraid you would kill us. And da, 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 da. And it got all done, and Joshua says, we're stuck with you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make you woodcutters and water carriers. You're going to be common laborers from generation to generation, but we won't kill you. And here's the last three words of Joshua chapter 9. Three words. Remember this. First, they did not ask God. The last three words are, they still are. They still are. They're stuck with them forever. If you get manipulated, you could end up being stuck with something for the rest of your life. So what do we do? How do we avoid a manipulator? How do we realize we're under someone's thumb? How do we avoid a break free from a relationship that has or is full of manipulation? Number one, repent and ask God to forgive you. Joshua said, God, forgive me. Sorry I made this mistake. And God gave him the, what he should do, make the woodcutters and water carriers. Forgave him. <clears throat> Secondly, forgive yourself. Once you see the manipulation, you'll probably be mad at yourself or feel dumb for falling into the emotional manipulator's trap. How many of you are here going, I can't believe I fell for that? I cannot believe they duped me. They lied to me. Did you ever, did you ever say that? They were lying. They told lies and another lie, lie on top of a lie. They were lying the whole time. Forgive yourself. It happens to all of us. It can happen to anyone. You've got a kind, loving heart and you believe the best. Just learn a lesson and don't let people manipulate you. Number three, learn to offer a diplomatic no. All right, everybody, we're going to learn a new word. Are you ready? It's got two letters. Starts with N, ends in O. On three, you ready? One, two, three. That's way too nice. Let me, let me hear you do a real, like, firm, like, no, it ain't gonna happen. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah, see, that's good. Now, learn to say a diplomatic no. Emotional manipulators may get angry when you stop catering to their every need and stand up for yourself. And stick to your guns. My mother could not say no. My mom was a marshmallow. She was toast. When the, back when I was growing up, they had door-to-door -door salesmen. You guys remember that? You don't, we don't have them anymore. You know, no solicitors with these signs. We had solicitors all the time. Knives, pots and pans, encyclopedias. They'd come to your door and they'd sell you this stuff, door-to-door. When they were walking up the driveway, my mom saw them carrying knives or pots and pans or the encyclopedia. We have, we have nine kids. Mom would scream, lie. I mean, straight up, guys, honest truth. Everybody hide. <laughs> Why are we hiding, Mom? Psychopedia man's coming. And you know I can't tell him no. Turn everything off and hide. And my mother, I mean, honestly, nine kids. And my mom, kneeling behind the couch. 
Stephen, we don't have the money, and I don't know how to say no, and if I bought encyclopedias, your father would be so mad. So we'd wait. He'd knock, knock, and then finally he'd go away, and somebody'd peek out the window, and they'd pull away. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. So we had to sit and we had to hide because my mother could not say no. I don't have that problem. <laughs> Number four, ask pushback questions like, does this seem reasonable to you? Are you really expecting me to do this? Do I get to have an opinion here? Many times manipulators will back down. Number five, deploy a time buffer. When the manipulator asks you to do something for them that's unreasonable, use these four words. I'll think about it. Give yourself some time and figure out how to hide behind the couch. <laughs> Number six, and this is, the, this is the hardest one, guys. It's very hard. Confront the manipulator. Just like a bully on the playground, manipulators sometimes need to be confronted. This may sound scary, but remember, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. And there are times we have to confront the manipulator. If Joshua would have done that, he would not have been stuck with the Gibeonites for the rest of his life. Does that make sense? True love does not manipulate. Secondly, true love is never 50-50. And this song is very interesting because Bruno walks through the song and says all the things he would do. And then he has this little line and says, but you won't do the same. So there is a belief in our culture, and how many of you don't all have to agree with everything I say? As a matter of fact, Billy Graham's wife once said, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. <laughs> but I want to share something with you I think is important, and that is that no relationship will ever be 50-50. You do this, I'll do this. It's not found in real life. How many of you know that's not real life? But you'll hear people say it. Come on, man, this needs to be 50-50. It's never 50-50. Matter of fact, let me tell you a story. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, there's these two guys. They're young at the time. And they meet each other. And one is the king's son, and one is the future king. And the one guy's name is Jonathan, and the other guy's name is David. And they're young. And Jonathan sees David, and he says this to David. He says, I'm going to love you like my own brother. As a matter of fact, he says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And so how many of you would love to have a friend like that? How many of you have a friend like that? You know, 2 o'clock in the morning, dude, I am stuck. I don't have a friend like that. Does anybody here wants to be that friend? All right, thanks, man. I'm going to call you tonight. Just kidding. Um... He said, look, I'm going to be there for you. No prerequisites. He said, I'm going to be there for you. Now, I want, you, I want to show you something. Sometimes you have relationships where you go, man, this is really one-sided. You ever said that? Man, it's wearing me out. Listen to this. There are 14 distinct instances in 1 Samuel where you find Jonathan doing something for David of gigantic magnitude and you never find anything 
where David does anything for Jonathan. You can't find it. As a matter of fact, Jonathan sought out the friendship. Jonathan protected David from Saul. Saul was, David's, was, was, was Jonathan's father. And he tried to kill David. And Jonathan protected him. Jonathan defended David to Saul. He would say good things of him. Jonathan kept David informed behind Saul's back of what was going on. Jonathan's sister Michael got involved to save David's life. As a matter of fact, Michael eventually married David. Jonathan lets David know that his main purpose in life is to save David's life. Jonathan tells David to just say the word and I will do whatever you need. Jonathan says, you will always know what I know. Jonathan loved David more than his own soul. Jonathan plans a way of escape for David. Jonathan was mistreated by his own father for David. Jonathan shoots an arrow to let David know it's time to run for your life. Jonathan and David separate to never see each other again. And Jonathan dies while fighting on Mount Gilboa without even ever letting David know. Fourteen distinct instances where Jonathan took the lead in the relationship and David had none. What does that teach us? Number one, that relationships are not always 50-50. And when it ever becomes 50-50, buy a cake and celebrate. How many of you are here? Because I'm telling you, there are many times in life where the relationship is 99 to 1. Now let me illustrate. <clears throat> Last year around this time, I lost a uh, brother-in-law to esophageal cancer. He's 54 years old. My sister's 53. She's a widow. And uh, last Thursday, this past Thursday, a couple days ago, we got a call, and they informed us that I have another brother-in-law. He's married to my sister right above me. I have six sisters and two brothers. There's nine of us. And the sister right above me, her husband was diagnosed with liver and stomach and I believe kidney cancer, it's all through him. He can't be treated, and it's just a matter of time before hospice will be called. And uh, pray for him. His name is Mike. My sister's name is Joan. I love my sister. I love her dearly. And I feel so bad. See, Mike, Mike used to have three 45-foot-long fishing boats down at Indian River Inlet. He took party boats out. How do you know what a party boat is? It's not a party boat, okay? It's a group that you go group fishing. He's taken me out 60 miles to go tuna fishing in one of his boats for free. It was incredible. He's like a man's man, lives on the Delaware River. He's got a small farm. He's got tractors and trucks, and he always took good care of himself and took care of the family. But from here on, that relationship's going to switch, and it'll end up 99 to 1. And I know my sister. She's a Jonathan. Whatever it takes. How many of you are here? And sometimes you're going to be in a relationship. You know what? God may have called you to it. Now don't be manipulated and mistreated and taken advantage of. Does that sound fair? But sometimes you're in that relationship because God wants you there. Because you're what they need. So first... Truth, 
uh, true love does not manipulate. Secondly, true love is not 50-50. And number three, and finally, is true love doesn't bring instant results. Baby, I, I you know, I, I'd stand in front of a train for you. I'd put my hand on a blade for you. Come on now. Get with the program. Now, I don't have a background in the bar scene, but I guess this stuff must work at some point, right? I mean, the song sold millions. You bought it, because I looked around, you sing, I'll take a grenade. <laughs> I saw you. <clears throat> Maybe at some point, I guess in this culture, somebody walks up, you know, in a bar and in their best Barry White voice, you know, leans over and says, hey, baby, see that's God? I took a blade for her. I'd do it for you, too. You would? I would. Well, then, let's get out of here and go get married and have a life together. It doesn't work that Does it work that way? Somebody help me if it does. It, it, Love doesn't get instant results. And I'll close with this story. I mean, it's the rest of the story with Jonathan and David. Jonathan dies in Mount Gilboa. Fifteen years later, David <coughs> says to one of his satraps, which is another word for servant, he said, hey, is there anybody still alive from Jonathan's family? that I can show kindness to. And the satrap, in, in, in honor of Jonathan, and the satrap tells him a story and says, yeah, on Mount Gilboa when they had the, the fight and Saul died and Jonathan died at the same time, one of, uh, of uh, Jonathan's caretakers for his child grabbed the baby and ran and while she was running, she tripped and fell, and the baby broke both its legs, and it's crippled to this day. And his name is Mephibosheth. And David said, go get him and bring him here. So they go and they get Mephibosheth, and they bring him to David, and David sits him down and he says, and now this little baby is 15 years old. And David says to this little 15-year-old kid, he said, I want to tell you something. Let me tell you about your father, Jonathan. Your, 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 your Jonathan was incredible. Because of the love he showed me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you back all of your grandfather's land. I'm going to give you back all the wealth you would have gotten by true inheritance. And he said, as a matter of fact, Every day from now on, I'm going to have you sit at the head of my table and you're going to eat the king's meal every day for the rest of your life. Fifteen years. Who waits 15 years? Not very many people. We're kind of stuck on instant. How many of you would agree? 
Mephibosheth was the beneficiary of David's faithfulness long after Jonathan died. So it teaches us something. Paul said in Galatians 6-9, don't be weary in well-doing. For in due time, you will reap if you faint not. So if you're in a relationship, it's 99 to 1. You think God doesn't see that? He sees it. He'll, He'll repay. Just be patient. And if he doesn't repay you here, guess what? Someday you're going to walk through this gate, this really kicking gate. And they're not going to give you any shade. And they're going to say this. For the rest of eternity, get this guys, stay with me. For the rest of eternity, you're going to eat at the king's table. Y'all here? I'm good with that. I can wait for that. Listen, love song lies. We get it. It sells records. It's exaggerated. It's hyperbole. Trust me, I had to look that up. (laughs) But three things before before you go home. First, true love doesn't manipulate. Don't be manipulated and don't manipulate. I, I got to get my iced tea now for the rest of my life. That's what you get for putting yourself up here, okay? True love is not 50-50. And true love can't expect instant results. I want to ask you a question. How many of you here, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you here would say, you know what? I kind of... Looking forward to going through that gate someday and having God say to me, those 99 to ones, you hung in there. You, uh, you learned to not be manipulated. You, you understood it's not 50-50 and you didn't wait for instant results. I want you to eat with me the rest of eternity. Man, what a cool thing, huh? How many of you think that's a cool thing? But, and there's a way to do that. It's called following Christ. In the beginning of this message, I shared a verse with you from the book of John. It said, if you will love one another like I love you, then the world will know that you follow me and they'll glorify God. So I want to give you, a, I want to give you an opportunity to follow Christ. To be able to say, I don't know, if I went to heaven today, I know what I'm having for dinner. Does that make sense? So I want you to bow your heads with me, close your eyes. And if today you had to walk through the gates, how many of you here would, would say, ah, I just don't think that would be something I'd want to do right now because I don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, but I really would like to have that and have that assurance. Will you just lift your hand if you want to accept Christ? Just lift it up real high, anywhere in the room, upstairs, downstairs. Just put it up real high and put it down. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to single you out. We just want to make sure we pray together. Does anybody want to lift your hand? All right, how about if we all pray this prayer together? Thank you for that hand. Let's just pray together and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. 
I will follow you. Help me to show your love like you love me so that everyone will know that I've decided to follow you. Amen. Listen, God bless you. If you prayed that prayer, just fill out one of the cards that's in the seat back in front of you. Put it in the offering box as you leave. And I just want to share something with you. God is a good God. And the wonderful thing about serving God is we know what it means to be loved in a way that is not manipulative. And honestly, on God's side, it's very one-sided. He gave his life for us. Aren't you grateful? God bless you.